There's a very special orchid, unknown to the Western world before the late 1500s, that is now a fundamental part of our culinary and sensory experience of food and life. The literal translation is Little Pod, but it is much better known by everyone as Vanilla. You're listening to An Organic Conversation, your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helga Hilberg. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And in this episode, we will explore the magical world of vanilla, how it is grown and harvested, and all its amazing uses. Making your life more vanilla, sweet, simple, and sustainable, today on An Organic Conversation. It is the second most expensive spice after saffron and used in countless ways and products because everyone loves its flavor and scent. Today we are speaking with two vanilla experts in our attempt to be making your life more vanilla. But first, here's our week's review. Well, I love the week's review, and and Helga, thanks for that beautiful introduction. I'm like on the edge of my seat getting ready to talk about this subject. I can't believe we've never had a show on vanilla. But before we get into the vanilla show, I was reading something interesting the other day about how to engage children into a variety of different flavors, particularly when it comes to fruits and vegetables. And the concept is to help picky eaters overcome their picky eating habits. And what they call it is the one bite rule. And I actually saw it by way of a health tip, hashtag health tip that was circling around on Twitter. And a woman wrote it and she said, basically, offer children a choice of two fruits or two vegetables and have them choose one. And then they just have to take one bite. And it's part of this whole what what as I was doing research is actually a, a teaching principle for children called the one bite rule, where they believe that if you can get a child to take one bite of a, of a food and do it at least seven times with that same food, they will develop a positive relationship with that food. What's interesting about it is kind of the differing opinions about whether or not this is a positive, beneficial way to engage children in food because they have some case studies, for example, like two sisters who had to engage with this at the table and they would kind of approach it with curiosity and a little bit of like healthy competitiveness, like I'll eat mine if you eat yours versus a single child who may or may not just naturally have a more stubborn disposition, but sitting at the table for two hours and not leaving because he really didn't want to take a bite. And so some of the critics of this idea of the one bite rule say that if you have this hard and fast rule at the dining table, you may actually be creating a relationship where the child doesn't look forward to coming to the table because they know they're going to be forced to take a bite. So I just, you know, we love to bring up things that have both sides. You know, it's two sides of the same coin. Is it helpful? Is it harmful? I think it needs to stay playful. It just reminds me so much of my childhood where we had this this German rule of you finish your plate before you leave. And it didn't matter if I was hungry or if I maybe have felt a little ill and I was just not into food that day. It didn't support my individuation, my individual 
need for food or desire for food or even what I would eat. It was, it was just, here's the food, you're a young boy, you need to eat this, otherwise you can't play. And that didn't work for me at all. I really remember eating foods that I didn't like. I ate way too much at occasions and I turned out healthy. So you could say, well, you know, sometimes kids don't know, but I do think there is something that children know and children know best. There's a another study where they exposed infants to 30 different foods and they for the first two or three days, only ate bananas. Mm. And the scientists observed that and thought this is going to be a disaster. And after two or three days of just eating bananas, they moved on to the next food Are and then kidding? just ate that. After 30 days, they had basically eaten the entire nutritional profile that that child needed, that that baby needed, that huh. infant, without any education or any guidance other than their own guidance and their genetic you know, education that they came with onto this <laughs> world. So I do think interesting and wonderful to expose children to healthy vegetables instead of, you know, fast food, to train their palate to be discerning vegetable eaters. I think that's, that's lovely and wonderful and important. And uh, it needs to be in balance with that sense of you, you decide. And if you, out of these two or three options, don't choose any of them, you know, that's okay too. Mm. So as long as it stays playful, I think all these attempts are, are wonderful and they just show, you know, paying attention is just great. I think there's a gentleness and an encouragement that can come with these rules because I do think that having some structure, whether it's a, a really hard and fast rule at the dinner table or not, but, but being gentle with it and, like you said, Helga, playful does create that um, environment of curiosity. I, my mother makes this, she's always made doll, this one particular dish, and I never liked it growing up. And I remember at some point, my brother said to me, you know, I believe that if you try something once at some point in your life, you will crave it later. And I found that when he, he said that the night that she made that specific doll, and now in my adult life, it's like, whenever I go visit her, I want her to make that dish because that's been my relationship because my brother just put that right thing out there of like, give it a shot. Or if it's cool. anything with vanilla. You're listening <laughs> to an organic true. conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. <laughs> and I'm Sitarani Palomar. And that's what's coming up. A conversation with two experts on vanilla growing, harvesting its many uses, what to consider and how to handle it properly. But as always, before we dive into this topic fully, we'll dive into the world of health and beauty for just a minute. Here's Sitarani Palomar, a.k.a. Chef Sita, and her holistic bite. Mm, thank you, Helga. Well, I wanted to stick on the beauty train again this week. Last week, I talked about using arrowroot to make a hair powder that helps to absorb some oil so you can get more length out of your, your blowout or in between the times that, you've, that you wash your hair just to give your, your hair a break. And I like this combination of basically a, a moisturizing face primer that you can put on before you put on your makeup and then following it up with a nice finishing powder to set everything and also to, to blot some of the oil. And there are a lot of different primers that you can make. And, and I want to also say that this isn't just for women. I mean, primers help foundation adhere to the skin if, if you are wearing makeup, but also they help to, to moisturize the skin and give you a really healthy glow and then finishing it off with a, a powder that helps to, to take away any excess oil and shine means that for a man, if you've got to take headshots or if you're going to, if you know you're going to be in photos, 
clothes or if you are combating oil, this isn't, these aren't actually cosmetics and neither are they actually, you know, um, chemical products. They're things you can find around your household. So the the first thing that people can use as a one-stop shop for, for preparing your skin is aloe vera. Aloe vera is really, really healing on your skin and it has a nice kind of tacky texture so it sticks to your skin well, but it doesn't leave your skin feeling sticky. So it's a really easy go-to. I also like to make a spray that after I've moisturized my face in the morning, I just spritz this spray over my face. And as it dries, it creates a really nice base for anything to stick on and just gives my skin a healthy glow. So particularly days when I don't wear any makeup at all, I just find like this adds a little bit of perk to my complexion. And it's easy to put together. It smells wonderful because it uses two tablespoons of rose water. And rose is another really healing, healthful ingredient um, to use topically. So two tablespoons of rose water with half a teaspoon of vegetable glycerin. And then I use a couple drops of lavender, another wonderful topical um, essential oil and also has a beautiful aroma to it. And you put this in a little spray bottle and just shake it up, spray it on your face, let it dry for about five seconds, and then you'll see that you have a really a really nice glow. And if you want to finish this off with a powder to take away any of the excess oil or after you've applied your makeup, after you've put this very natural primer on, arrowroot, again, is a wonderful ingredient. And um, so you can put a little bowl of arrowroot powder, a little jar of arrowroot powder on your cosmetic table and, and dip a makeup brush, tap it off and just swirl it over your skin and it helps to set everything. And like I said, men too, if you've got a headshot to do, you might consider doing this as an alternative to any kind of cosmetic that you might buy. And um, one more tip on this on this line, coffee filters are excellent for blotting oil. And I'll keep some coffee filters in my handbag or in my glove box because throughout the day, if I find that my skin is getting oily and I want to blot it, instead of putting more cosmetics on, you just press the coffee filter onto your skin. It absorbs the oil. It doesn't take off anything that you have on your face and completely natural. That's this week's Holistic Bite. Okay, coffee filters to blot your face. Not used coffee filters. No, 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 (laughs) new. But the magic, magical world of women's uh, (laughs) women's cosmetic preferences. Just you wait. The next time we do a video, you're going to be asking me for coffee filters. You're right. That was great. Yes, for any men who just heard this for your next photo shoot. I'm sure it's next Tuesday. No, but if if you want to look healthy and glowy as a man, what for whatever reason, photo shoot or not, this is all wonderfully helpful. And uh, I love that you can you don't need to spend you know hundreds of dollars for an expensive treatment. You can just do this at home for just a few bucks mm-hmm. once a month and just see if it works for you, whatever your gender may be. I also love the tacky texture. See, that's that's what an organic conversation is all about. We show the entire breath. Tacky can be good. you are listening to an organic conversation i'm helga and i'm sita rani palomar thank you sita for that wonderful as always holistic bite and now we have a sweet spicy treat for you is it sweet is it spicy we're exploring the world of sustainable vanilla production making your life more vanilla simple sweet and sustainable today here on an organic conversation that and more in just a second when we come back after the break 
Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards, Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Hilberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Today we're talking a very special orchid unknown to the Western world before the late 1500s that is now a fundamental part of our culinary and sensory experience of food and life, really in so many products. We're speaking about vanilla in this hour with two wonderful guests, Nathaniel Delafield and his brother, James Delafield, both co-founders of a company, La Faza, with a focus on bringing natural, sustainably grown and harvested vanilla to vanilla lovers everywhere. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Nat and James. Let's start with the basics. It's interesting that we've been on the air for five years and we've never had a show on vanilla. We've talked about other spices and herbs, but vanilla is such a world in itself. And there's so many different uses, both culinary as well as as a, as a scent, candles, and, and the, I'm sure I'm just scratching the surface right now, but it seems like a world without vanilla would feel depleted. Let's start with the basics. It's a sweet, romantic flavor with pretty romantic origins. Where does vanilla come from? Vanilla is uh, native to sort of Central and South America. It, so it comes out of the jungles along the coast of from Central Mexico down through Venezuela, even into Brazil. And uh, it grows naturally in the forest there. It's Like you said, it's an orchid uh, and a vine. So it would grow up into the trees and, and flower up in the trees. And, uh, of course, it was in the forest for, for who knows how long before people uh, figured out how, how wonderful it was as a fragrance. Is that mm. why it, was, it took until the late 1500s or so, mid-1500s, to be even brought to Europe uh, because it was a jungle plant, that it was not really known other than to, you know, the, the original tribes living in those areas? Well, yes. As a, I mean, as a New World uh, crop yes. uh, or plant, it was just the Europeans had no access to it. So there, until the, the Spanish made contact... In, in Central America, um, that that's really what linked uh, things like chocolate and vanilla to Europe. And yet it has so much meaning, right? It, it's an extremely meaningful plant uh, and ingredient. There, of course, we, we all know vanilla flavor and vanilla ice cream, but there, there are so many traditional uses and ceremonies. Can you talk about that? Uh, certainly. Well, originally, back um, before it had been sort of discovered by, by the Spanish, um, it was used traditionally and mixed with chocolate that also was grown in the area. And it was um, kind of a ceremonial drink, a festive drink, something that sort of 
took the place of where maybe we use alcohol sometimes mm. um, uh, at parties. Uh, instead, there was a chocolate and vanilla drink that was used by the Aztecs, the Mayans before them. And um, so, yes, it has a lot of history as a, as a, um, a ceremonial and, a, and sort of a special uh, spice and, and flavor. So we're talking right now about Central and South American roots, but my experience particularly as a chef, has been that what is, quote-unquote, the premium vanilla is Madagascar vanilla. So how did we get this plant that thrived in Central and South America over into this area of Africa? The Europeans had enjoyed the flavor. It was a new, it was a new spice for them. And then uh, they had you know, a colonial system. So uh, they were looking for areas around the world that could grow this crop that they had better control over. The French had a great taste for it, and there was actually a slave by the name of uh, Edward Albius. He was the one who discovered a hand pollinization technique. Uh, see, the vanilla is, a, is an orchid, so it's got very specific pollinators, mm. and the, the bee that pollinates the flower is only found where um, the vanilla naturally grows. So in order to cultivate it and have it produce fruit, it had to go through the process, uh, people had to go through the process of figuring out how to pollinate it. So you're saying vanilla is not native to Madagascar. It was brought there because of preferable growing conditions, and they forgot to bring the bee with it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> really? Well, this was a great source of frustration for quite a long time because the Madagascar presents an ideal growing environment for vanilla. It grows very well there. Um, and in the islands around uh, Madagascar, and it was brought there by the French, but how to get it to bear fruit was a very difficult and I, I think for, for many years very frustrating. A um, uh, number of times uh, the pollinator was introduced into the environment in hopes that it would take and, and start thriving oh, the there. Bee didn't and the bee, in the bee was never able to be added to the environment. So it did present a, a huge challenge that was solved by a worker on one of the plantations, um, as James said, who came up with a, a way to pollinate it using an orange thorn. And there's a very specific technique used to make that flower bear a perfect vanilla bean. So having some background in sustainable agriculture, this sounds like a nightmare. So we are talking orange <laughs> thorn. This is every single vanilla plant is hand-pollinated. Is that correct? Every single flower is hand-pollinated. Still today? <laughs> Absolutely. Still today. Madagascar yeah. is um, the producer of somewhere between 70 and 80 percent of the world's natural vanilla every year. And out of that crop, every single bean is a hand-pollinated flower. And a flower bears one bean. So it's very labor-intensive, and it's quite an artistic as well as scientific um, endeavor by the farmers. So I'm starting to get a sense of why this premium Madagascar vanilla does tend to be more expensive than other vanilla on the market. And we're just getting into the surface about what makes Madagascar vanilla so special. Your company in particular, La Faza, it, this is Madagascar Vanilla, and your name has a lot to do with the community and the culture, and your whole purpose has a lot to do with the community and the culture. Let's start with the name. What's the meaning behind La Faza? Well, La Faza is, a, is the Malagasy name for an endemic species of palm tree that grows in and around vanilla fields, all around production areas in Madagascar. You will find many species of trees and plants growing along with vanilla. It almost never, um, if ever, uh, grows by itself. 
And um, so the Lafaza tree is found around these, these beautiful agroforestry systems that produce vanilla. And it is a beautiful, almost postcard-like palm tree that is used by Malagasy people for celebrations and decoration. It brings something special to special events. And it also is a tree that grows many different palm stems or trunks out of the same base. And we really liked that metaphor for what we were trying to do, create a base, a business base and a trading base where many different independent farmers cooperatives and farming groups could be thriving and well supported from a single um, a single purpose and a single business um, entity. Do you want to add to that? Oh, that was very well said. Yeah, <laughs> I felt it was perfect and complete, um, which is really your focus, right? It's, it is to bring the best vanilla to, to vanilla markets and vanilla lovers around the world. But the way you do it with this focus on bringing natural and sustainably grown vanilla is different. And hearing the hand pollination, it brings up episodes that we had on unfair farming practices and uh, or unfair payment to workers for many crops around the world. And even here in the United States, tomato pickers in Florida, we had a great show on a documentary that has just come out around that issue. And I can only imagine if there's no attention to making the harvesting and the growing sustainable, how hand pollination of large fields of hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of flowers could become easily an, an issue of mm. equality. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the hand pollinization, that's just uh, the, the start in terms of the, how labor intensive it is. Um, you've got, I, I mean, for starters, the, the, the flower only blooms for maybe six, 12 hours. So you have to find it immediately uh, and pollinate I knew it. there was another hook. Oh, <laughs> really? And, and then you have to care for the plant for, for what, four, six months while it grows the bean. And then you harvest the bean And then there's another curing process, and this is really where the labor starts because you're dragging the vanilla out into the sun every day for a period of hours, working it in the sun, and then rolling it back up and bringing it inside. So each day the vanilla has to be all moved outside and then all brought back in again, and uh, so it takes a lot of work. And, and this goes on for a couple of months. This yeah. is a quite a long process for curing. Do you have beans. Do you have videos about this process on your website? We, we're starting to put together more videos, uh -huh. uh, but uh, we didn't always have uh, the the equipment with us in order to uh, sure in order to film. But we're we're starting to make a, a concerted effort to to make that accessible. Because cocoa. I mean, chocolate has been really popular in conversations about what fair trade and direct trade and sustainable agricultures and healthy communities who are producing chocolate, what they go through, because people are just very keyed into chocolate. And hearing you say this, I'm like, I had no, how did I have no idea that this is what it takes? And my appreciation for chocolate changed when I understood what people were doing with the pods and getting the beans out and the cocoa butter and like all of those. <laughs> and here you are telling about vanilla and this incredibly labor intensive process that is really a labor of love because this is a sacred plant that's used for ceremonies even still today. I'm in awe. And just to, to uh, close that visual, they are dragging out the plant in a pot or they're dragging out the vanilla? No, um, that's post-harvest. So the, the vines are still in the, uh, you know, where they are growing. Right, right. It's the little dark stem that we get. What, what do you call that, the vanilla itself? Well, right, it's a, it's a, it's a pod, as you say. It's a, I mean, they're referred to as a bean because when it's ripe on 
the vine, it looks like a fat green bean. Mm. Um, but then as it dries, it goes through this raising process. Whether you leave it on the vine and it dries or whether you uh, dry it uh, intentionally, it turns brown and, and, uh, and, and thin. And you couldn't eat the green bean. No. And interestingly, the green bean at harvest has no smell at all. Oh, you're kidding. And it always boggles my mind that somebody figured out this uh, commercial curing process because it really is so magical how the bean transforms Aren't day after day in the sun. are amazing? Who, who took five months or whatever it takes, a few hours each day to dry a bean that has no scent or taste to then find out it turns into this amazing loved around the world aroma that we couldn't think to live without. It's quite, <laughs> it's a, it's yeah. quite incredible. Humans. Yeah. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we are talking about making your life more vanilla, simple, sweet, and sustainable with the co-founders of La Faza, a company with a focus on bringing natural, sustainably grown and harvested vanilla to vanilla lovers around the world. Um, James Delafield and Nat Delafield. We'll take a quick break, but we'll be right back with so much more on vanilla. Stay tuned. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Today, this hour is all about making your life more vanilla, simple, sweet, and sustainable. We're speaking with Nat and James Delafield, co-founders of La Faza, a company committed to bringing the best natural and sustainably grown and harvested vanilla to you, to U.S. markets, and really around the world, hopefully soon. Yes? That's correct. Yes. <laughs> During the break, you were saying that in our intro, we talked about children and how to how flavor and, and taste is, is created. And uh, why don't we talk about that from the angle of vanilla? You, you had a story. Absolutely. Well, when we were kids, I think that the general <laughs> common knowledge out there was keep food bland for kids, keep it unexciting, keep spices sort of out of the picture. And more and more, I think there's a recognition that the development of flavor preferences and experimentation of flavor, and that sort of deep, hard-coded connection to flavor and aroma starts really early, almost at birth. And so there's more encouragement to include flavors and spices into children's foods and their experiences. And uh, I think it's a really nice tie into vanilla because when you take, let's say, a bottle of vanilla extract that's a natural you know, beautiful vanilla extract and you open it up. And if you ask someone to close their eyes and just take a smell of that vanilla, where does that take you? And for most people or many people, that takes you back to your childhood, 
so being in your kitchen with your mom, maybe your first experience watching a, a cake being made or something like that, but it has a very deep and long lasting connection. I think a lot of human memory and, and um, experience is um, very centered around aromas and flavors, maybe more than we even recognize um, yeah. in our conscious mind. <laughs> and big shout out to your mom, both of your mom, uh, because uh, that's the reason why you're sitting here in the studio with us <laughs> talking about vanilla. Uh, she really was the gateway for you, right, through baking and using uh, vanilla. Yes, absolutely. No, we, uh, Our mother was a <laughs> wonderful cook, and uh, I think we both have a lot of memories uh, of both uh, you know meals that she created uh, for us every, every night for dinner uh, but then also uh, the the baking experience it was always a special thing um, and she was wonderful at it she was a great from scratch uh, cook and and baker so everything was I went from your the, childhood oh, <laughs> so we grew up with cookies and brownies oh and all sorts goodness. of things she kept trying to come up with new ones to keep us entertained and and interested, but uh, wow! Well, ha <laughs> like happy Mother's Day to your yes. mother. Happy Mother's Day, mom. love you, mom. <laughs> and, and to all others, Sita, oh my goodness! From a chef's perspective, Sita, there's beans, there's extract, there's oh my! It's a big world. It's a big world, and I have to say, I learned even more about what to do with vanilla on your website. <laughs> you, I mean, you have a lot of really creative products that that had some exciting new potential for cooking, but I want to talk about people. I think frequently purchase vanilla beans whole. A lot of people purchase the extract because it just seems easier. But when you buy vanilla beans, at least in my experience, I find that you get more versatility and you get more for your money because you can use them in many different ways. And I would love if you guys could unpack some of that and help people understand how they can make the most of their vanilla beans. Sure. Well, uh, I mean, vanilla... Has, has got over 250 flavor active chemicals in it. So, so, I mean, you're getting a lot of flavors out of it. And with the extract, you get a lot of wonderful flavors. And it's very simple, simple use. The vanilla bean will give you all the, the, the complete array of flavors that are there. And, uh, you know, the, the sort of the easy, the go-to, the understood way to use vanilla uh, beans is that you slice it open long, the long way and you scrape the tiny little seeds out like you see in vanilla bean ice cream, those little mm. specks. It's full of thousands, probably tens of thousands of those in every, every bean. And you scrape those out and you use those and then you have this pod left that has a ton of flavor in it. And, um, you know, it's a, what to do with that pod presents, you know, a whole nother range of opportunity. So uh, if, if you use the inside of the bean, the, the caviar, if you use mm. that uh, to, to make your ice cream or to, to flavor your, your whipped cream with, let's say, and then uh, you've got this pod, one of, the, one of the things people do with it is they'll put it into a, a bit of alcohol, uh, like a vodka or a rum to start to infuse that and make their own vanilla extract. What I like to do is dry it out, um, and I put it in a little jar on my uh, kitchen windowsill so it both I get this great smell um, mm. as I'm doing the dishes, uh, which is a wonderful side uh, benefit. And then once it's dry, I crack off pieces of it and it just snaps and put it in uh, a grinder. So I'll use it with um, uh, when I'm grinding coffee beans, I'll break off a, a, a small, you know, a, an inch piece of it and, and, and brew a cup of coffee with fresh real <laughs> vanilla in it. Wow. wow. So if you if you oh as goodness. listening to the show as a woman and you want your husband to do the dishes, just put a little bit of vanilla next to the 
sink and we, we will be drawn to do we can, that. We can get into the more amorous qualities of vanilla at some point. I love that. Love affair with vanilla. Vanilla as aphrodisiac and motivator. Yeah. I, and motivator. Beyond yeah. dishes. Beyond dishes. Oh my yes. goodness. Uh, but so you could break the outside off and grind it up. It needs to be ground and use it for anything that you would use a ground up product for. Coffee, you can even put it in tea as you steep it as long as you put it in a filter tea filter sure sure yeah any uh, hot water whatever i mean it becomes a ground spice at that point so mm. um you know if you have a designated spice grinder you can uh, grind it in that when you're you're cooking foods and that kind oh of not just to infuse it you could ingest it too you could oh, grind it up and sprinkle it on your salad and you would have like a vanilla vinaigrette oh, yes. even though yes it's, put it's it's over excellent. your water <laughs> it's excellent yep as if i had said something that was not so <gasps> oh obvious already God. anyway <laughs> But as a pod, it's too fibery to eat. And, but uh -huh. there are still some ways to use the pod, too. I'd like to do a lot of cooking with sauces and so a cream sauce or something like that. You can throw the pod in there while you're making it, and that will infuse what you're doing with a very nice vanilla flavor and aroma. And you take the pod right back out when you're done. You don't want to eat that pod unless you're grinding it up. But you can use it in a lot of ways uh, to continue flavoring the food. And mm -hmm. uh, it's also a very nice use for it. Well, let's keep going down that extending yes. the life mm -hmm. of the vanilla pod. because So last night I was recipe testing a specific recipe where I take the vanilla beans out and I mix it into a coconut cream. And then I put the pod into my compote. So it's cherry juice and Riesling and apricots. And, and I put the vanilla bean and some cinnamon sticks in it. So now that all of that infusion is done, I have this vanilla bean pod or vanilla pod still tastes like vanilla also tastes like cherry and cinnamon and oh, <laughs> Riesling now I would probably at this point just discard it. I, I've used my pod it's done it's it's lived its life it's fulfilled its glorious purpose but maybe not maybe at this point there's still something I can do with that pod put it in alcohol infuse it again what 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 do you think at this point you you've used it uh, many times mm -hmm. and uh, and really the the end the the end game for this pod <laughs> is probably <laughs> going to go down a couple of roads it can be you know you can put it in the alcohol and make an infusion or you can dry it and after it's dried then you can go with the grinding or you can uh, you can put it into a, like a sugar bowl even before it's dry and oh. that will start to uh, infuse the whole bowl of sugar or once it's dry then it can be a, a room freshener too a, a traditional use of vanilla was to fold it in with the bed linens in the in the closet so Are then you as you kidding? pull it out and make your bed you've got this uh, great vanilla scent. But you're saying as with anything, if you use it five, six, eight times, depending on the uses, it, it will lose its potency at one point. It will. It will start to diminish. Sure. But it maintains its potency for quite a, a, a surprisingly long time. I'd say in that scenario, you could also just rinse it off in the sink. And you and you have a vanilla bean pod back again, Please ready again. to be used, and it will still have a lot of flavor in it. Yeah, it reminds me of cinnamon, right? Where you put a cinnamon stick into your tea with honey or whatever, and and you infuse it, and then after that, it. F I have this mentality, just like with tea, maybe you do a second brew, but that's pretty much it. It sounds like maybe with cinnamon too, but for sure, vanilla has a much longer life. Up to a point, yes. Yeah. Of, course, <laughs> of course, eventually it will be sort of uh, uh, lower. Let's talk about the caviar. When you said scraping out the, the center there, I was thinking, yeah, and that looks like mini tiny, it's like a soft paste. It almost looks like caviar. And then you said caviar. Is that the official term for that center? Uh, maybe the official unofficial term? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. well used. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Vanilla caviar. Yep. So 
this hour we're trying to cover everything we can about vanilla and we're talking about all the uses and flavors but we we also want to make sure there's time to talk about what Lafaz's mission is it's interesting i was looking at a tagline for graystone bakery which they employ you guys are nodding you're familiar with graystone because they employ people who've come out of prison or, or various difficult conditions and they give them a work opportunity so their tagline was we don't employ people to make brownies we make brownies to employ people and mm-hmm. and for me that sounds a lot like what La Faza is all about. I mean, you guys are really trying to do something for the community in Madagascar. I mean, your name, your branding, everything is is conjuring up this authentic community that you're supporting. Can you tell us about the vanilla business and how you're doing it differently? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, uh, uh, we started at the beginning of the program. We were talking about how vanilla went to Madagascar and was part of this colonial system. And uh, and it's the industry has been sort of stuck in that for a while. Madagascar has had its independence for less than 100 years. So there's still a lot of work to be done uh, in terms of uh, changing the industry so that the focus is uh, in, in much of the food industry, not just with vanilla, but so that the focus uh, is towards uh, the, the growers and the people who are uh, doing uh, much of the work. So through uh, part of our mission is we're working directly with farmers, farmer associations, farmer cooperatives, um, and it gives us an opportunity to, to reach hundreds and thousands of people quite directly. It speaks very much to why we started the company to begin with. We were actually challenged by a number of local vanilla growers associations originally to come up with, in partnership with them, come up with a different model of trade that would work better, allow for more direct access to markets, and allow for farmers to capture more of the benefit that they were creating with this wonderful product. And so in a lot of ways, it was always a collaboration directly with rural village communities in Madagascar right from the very beginning and um, in large part was their idea and a challenge that they gave to us to try to work with. And we wanted to take on that challenge as we saw the real need for it in Madagascar. And I'd say also the opportunity to really do something different that could impact the entire industry. And we're seeing more and more that the industry is turning towards some of these ideas over time. And we find that very exciting and are glad that we're a part of that. Yeah, colonialism and exploitation is so 1800. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's a, so it's an idea that time has come and passed, thankfully, <laughs> yeah, uh, we sure. hope. The exploration was maybe the, the first driver, but we got it now, and now we know what is sustainable and what is not. And you actually, as a business, are looking to eventually expand beyond vanilla. I just want to do a mini station ID. You are, of course, listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helber. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And in this hour, we're speaking with two experts on vanilla growing and harvesting and all its uses, the founders of La Faza, a company dedicated to bringing natural, sustainably grown and harvested vanilla to vanilla fans everywhere, Nat Delafield and his brother James Delafield, both co-founders of La Faza. And for more information, it's L-A-F-A-Z-A, lafaza.com, including for some educational videos that are either there now or will be there soon. Let's speak about your your plans before we um, have to wrap this wonderful interview. It's vanilla right now as the focus, but really as a kind of spiritual practice, business practice, nevertheless, you are planning on expanding into other products as well. What's the future for you guys look like? The future for us is really involved in trying to re-envision and restructure supply chains to be both sustainable and ethical 
in the trading practices. So for us, it, it's always been an idea that extends beyond vanilla. Vanilla was where we got started and is a really fundamental part of what we do and what we love to do. But it is also a country, um, Madagascar is a country that produces many wonderful specialty spices and products. And many other countries in the tropics and the developing world also have the same type of needs. And so our plans are to really expand beyond vanilla and to be um, tackling uh, supply chain challenges um, that are out there. And we'd like to be offering up to a larger food industry a really different model for doing trade and for doing business, something other than business as usual, something that is both positive for the communities that grow the products and also wonderful for the customers that consume and enjoy them. And uh, just to whet your appetite a little bit, we're, uh, we're looking at linking in with a, a salt project um, there where there's a hand-mined earth salt that's uh, run by women's Women's cooperative. cooperatives uh, producing that. Um, there's a Ceylon cinnamon uh, is, is another spice that we've begun to work with. Cloves, we've been uh, trading in cloves for a couple of years now, but more directly with, um, with some of Asia and that Madagascar. consumes more cloves. And Madagascar black pepper, which um, will change your idea of what black pepper is all about. It is an entirely oh, there's a spice blend coming. Madagascar black pepper and also some spice blends. So (laughs) one of the things we're looking at now is is some some interesting ways to combine some of these flavors. What's interesting um, for me to to hear is that this entire local food movement is simultaneously local halfway around the globe. And as we are connecting local, you know, wherever you may live with coffee, palm tree products, whatever, whatever we import, which was based on trade and, and exploring other cultures and, and countries so wonderful, really, in its notion is now an international local movement, it seems like, mm. which is so wonderful to see how both have to exist, of course, not just can, but have to exist at the same time, because we our, our coffee and vanilla growing um, areas in the U.S. are very limited. <laughs> and we, have, yeah. we have so many amazing ways now to, to, to come back around to connecting local communities in very, very different parts sure. of the world. It's through the same conversation. And really. Absolutely. <laughs> and to bring that to life and make those real connections between people because it really comes down to people and culture. And Doesn't it? Yes. Yep. James, you were going to say? <laughs> well, it's, it's that idea of how do, how do you act like a local? You know, you just can't do it with every spice. So to, to be in a place and really supporting community and, and, and trying to, to bring those ideals uh, yeah. to the ground is uh, important. Good for you. Well, you're an international company that is acting like a local, and this isn't something that I understood until we talked about it before we started recording this show, where you were saying that so many vanilla companies are actually dealing with the exporter. They're going to the, the docks. That's where they're getting their vanilla. Whereas you guys, this concept of direct trade means that you are actually going to the farms. You're going to get to know the growers and the land and the product in, in a very intimate way that's different than how most vanilla business is conducted. We don't know of any other U.S. retail brand that is doing direct trade in Madagascar with local small farmers. Mm. Um, but to us, it's an integral part of what we do. And it is about being local and being present 
in some ways it, it does bring up the issue of fair trade and we had talked about that a little bit while we were chatting before the show but uh Fair trade is a very important and interesting thing, but direct trade really goes far beyond the concept of fair trade. Fair trade is often a set of principles and, and price points. Direct trade is a set of relationships that are mm-hmm. long-lasting and long-term, and, and within a relationship there are just so many aspects in which we and the communities where we work can support each other mutually sure. and, and find uh, points of connection, points to work together. Always expanding, always making it better where we can. Wonderful. Thank you so so much. It was such a vanilla pleasure. Nat Delafield and James Delafield, the founders of La Faza, here in the studio with us talking about vanilla, how it's grown and all its uses. Making your life more vanilla in this episode of An Organic Conversation, Simple, Sweet and Sustainable. Thanks so much for coming. It was Absolutely. a total Thank pleasure. You. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. <laughs> I'm Helge Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we'll stay with produce, locally grown produce. I guess it's a flower, vanilla, but we'll switch to produce, still local and sustainable. And what's in season is what's next. Stay tuned for more. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Switching gears now from vanilla to local produce. May, the abundance of May. Maybe still a tweener month. We will find out. Here's what's in season. And with us, as always, of course, the voice of the produce market, the San Francisco produce market, but really speaking for the country, is Mr. Organic himself, Earl Herrick. Earl, are you with us? <laughs> Hello, Helga. Good day. <laughs> I like that there. new nickname, Mr. Organic. Happy Mother's Day <laughs> to you. Um, yeah. Yes, May. It's. Uh, I see fresh vegetables coming slowly but surely. And it's not quite June or July yet. Some local farmers markets are still not open before the last week in, in May or early early weeks in June. But what is happening on the dock? What do you see as a really interesting product right now to focus on? You know, it, there is so much going on this time of year. There are so many things we could choose on. What I wanted to focus on was the old adage, an apple a day. We have grown up, I mean, in America, too, Johnny Appleseed, root sellers, there's always apples around. And through the technology allows us to have storage apples all year round. And this time of year, in May, uh, so apples in the northern hemisphere are picked in July, August, September, October, depending on the variety. And the early ones don't store. They come and go in a matter of weeks. But the ones that store well, which would be a Granny Smith, a Fuji, a Braeburn, a, a Red or Gold Delicious, those are put in the controlled storage and then taken out of storage as they're needed, not unlike you would do if you had a cold storage underneath your house. So they're starting to run out, which is kind of planned obsolescence as you want them to. You don't want apples to be competing as the peach crop comes in the next couple of weeks. 
But what augments that is this time of year, starting around April, we start getting uh, apples fresh from the southern hemisphere because they're a flip side of us. Mm. So our spring is their fall. So they have fresh apples of which we click right into the harvest, get them shipped up here in containers on a boat, takes about two weeks, and then you got fresh apples. And Earl, now, are they are they the same varieties that we get up here, or do they have different names? They're the same varieties, just not as many of them. For example, you're going to see predominantly a Gala, a Granny Smith, a Fuji, a Pink Lady. Those are the one. Those are the four or five varieties you're going to see. Whereas, you know, I would say at least twenty varieties are grown wherever you may be in the United States. So what gets focused on are those main varieties because the Southern Hemisphere, think Chile and and Argentine and and New Zealand, they're shipping the apples all over the world. So the storage apple is going to be more roughage, kind of another component to whatever you're doing, whether it's a salad or or yogurt or cereal. So the the fresh apple coming up is, is not only going to be better tasting but better for you. It's going to give you that fresh hit of a fresh fresh fruit again. It's what you call um, the ha- the hand fruit, Earl, right? The one that you just eat out of your hand. Yes, exactly. Because the flavor is so uh, good. There's circumstances going on here that you, we all want to be aware of. Anything coming out of storage, you want to keep refrigerated, absolutely, because it's coming out of a, store, a refrigerated storage. So think hibernation, boom, if you leave it on your ambient temperature counter for two days, it's going to lose pressure and it's going to texture-wise, it's going to be mealy. It's not going to be what you want. Because it's been, uh, you know, it's technically eight months old. It just has been in this animation state and storage. Uh, but it was it came off the tree eight months ago. How do you know if yeah. you look at a stored apple from last fall or a fresh product right now, in addition to yeah. the varieties? Would the produce yeah. buyer know? Yeah, generally there, there, there absolutely should be signage that indicates so. And the, another way to understand is anything grown in the United States or Canada at this time of year is going to be out of storage. Ah, good point. So it should absolutely, most stores do that now. They will have signage, will say, Red Delicious, $1.99, USA, New Zealand, Argentine, Chile. Country now, of origin or, exactly. you know, grown in Chile, whatever. Precisely. Now, yeah. they don't. Again, engaging your produce person is what you want to be doing, and you and you could say it would, it would really be helpful if I knew, and maybe that'll prompt them to do it for everything. But at the very least, you can ask that produce person should know right away. That being said, the, the first varieties that that come out of the southern hemisphere are the or not unlike the first apples that we get. It's the gala. It's one of the first uh, universally picked apples, so they tend to be a softer texture apple. And that doesn't mean it's going to be mealy, but it is a softer texture. It's just the nature of that apple, and that's why it comes off this time of year. So I think it's always best to refrigerate a gala because it, it'll, it'll be that much more assuring to be that nice, crisp bite that you want. Thank you for helping us save money every week. It's amazing. Save money, preserve and flavor. Yeah, wow. I don't know how you learned to navigate the entire world. We just talked about apples, stored apples for for a few minutes. And I know you deal with, what, 200, 300 produce items a year? Yeah, yeah, a little more than that. <laughs> so, so, so modest. So the, one, so the one you want to look for right now is the Granny Smith and the Gala. Those okay. are the two apples that if you find... 
you know, those are the ones to buy. Those are the good ones uh, from the southern hemisphere. And you'll have a nice, crispy, high vitamin A, high in enzyme apple. Nice. Granny Thank Smith you. and Gala. Thank you, Earl. Thanks yes. for that weekly tip from the Produce Dark Life. Um, we'll have you back next week. Pleasure. Great. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Thanks, Bye, Earl. Earl. Take care. See you all. Wow. I, I love ending the show with <laughs> Earl because it's just, it's such a high note of like, okay, so what am I going to pick up when I go to the store after work today? That's the idea. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Or at least, you know, the next week or two, sure. you'll find that and you have a better understanding of what you're actually looking at. Mm -hmm. It's just great. Yep. That's yeah. Earl Herrick and what's in season. What a yummy hour. Yes. Produce and vanilla. Vanilla produce. And and more than vanilla, actually, because the, the La Faza company is expanding into, as they said, salt and Ceylon cinnamon and sugar. And so you can learn more on their website, LaFaza, L-A-F-A-Z-A dot com. Also, they're running a Kickstarter campaign to help expand this direct trade into other items that they can bring into your kitchens. And so check them out on Kickstarter, LaFaza on Kickstarter. So excited. So yes. excited to taste their products. <laughs> <laughs> Making your life more vanilla, our focus in this hour, simple, sweet, and sustainable. And this, of course, rounds up an organic conversation for this week. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And we'll be back with another episode for you next week. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. This show would not be possible without the ongoing support from our listeners. Whether it's a dollar a month or a one-time donation, please consider becoming a patron of An Organic Conversation. For more information on how to support this program, please visit patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash An Organic Conversation. Thank you for your contribution. An Organic Conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business since 1988. The website is earlsorganic.com. And also Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helber and Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye.